this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. I changed my diet. I ran a crazy number of hours on weekends. I put everything I had into running my first marathon. When the day of the race came, I woke up, ready to run as hard as I could. All the work I put in was gonna pay off. I was excited to get to the starting line and even more excited to get to the finish line. However, the morning of the race, I ran into an unexpected obstacle. The race coordinators decided to cancel the marathon because of the heat index. I went from shock to anger to disappointment. I was devastated. I had put in so much work. I had spent early mornings running for hours on end. Even worse, my canceled marathon not only caused me to be sad, it affected my energy in other areas of my life. I felt cheated. Something I wanted to do was badly taken from me, and it was out of my control. My motivation to do good work fell, and I had a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. Then I realized something. Maybe that marathon was out of my control, but everything else that day was completely in my control. I changed my attitude immediately. I stopped feeling sorry for myself, and maybe that was my moment of transformation. Welcome to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm Chuck Garcia. My guest this evening, who would have narrated this because it was his story, his name is Kyle Wilkham. Kyle is a keynote speaker and a founder of Action Pack Leadership. He is a life skills and leadership company for the purpose of one thing, helping young people become the best version of themselves. Kyle, welcome to A Climb to the Top. Thanks for having me on the show, Chuck. It's great to be here. Tell me about that moment where I just narrated your start, something you hadn't expected, and tell me about how that relates to everything else that you've put in front of you since that day. Yeah, it felt like a punch in the gut. It really did. You wake up, you're ready to go and run a marathon and put it all out there and achieve a goal that you've been going after for a long time. And when someone tells you that you can't do that and there's nothing you can do about it, it feels like you're cheated. It feels like you're not good enough, that you don't belong there, that there's no hope. And, and when you feel that way, you, you get down about yourself. You don't believe that you can do good in the future. You, you start to question what it is you're even doing. And I think I, I went through those stages, like you mentioned, of anger and frustration and shock. And, and then I had a moment where I realized that my mindset and my effort from then on out was fully in my control. And I had the ability to turn things around. I had the ability to go for another marathon. I had the ability to make my life what I wanted it to be. And I was the only thing that was holding myself back. Just taking the listeners back at Marquette University. And let me state, Kyle is not six feet nine. He can't throw a hook shot like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
but he did make the basketball team in high school and he wondered, huh, could I make the basketball team of Marquette University, often a very good team? Tell us about that experience and how that shaped your outlook for the future, notwithstanding that marathon. Yeah, it was pretty amazing because I think I had this moment where I said, you know, I've accomplished some things in my life, but nothing really noteworthy. And they announced that they were going to have open tryouts for the Marquette University men's basketball team. And I, I joke with a lot of people that I talk to that looking at me, you'd probably think I was more of a tennis player. Yeah. But they, they <laughs> right. said, we have open tryouts. Anyone can show up. And so as a freshman in college, naive me shows up to tryouts and there's 26 guys. And they say, welcome to the gym. And they put us through the easiest workouts I've ever been through. And I, I couldn't believe it. I said, when do they find out who's good, who's not good? And they sent us home and they said, if you make it to the second round, we'll give you a call. So a week passes, I, I'm feeling pretty down. I don't think I've made it. And, and then I, my phone rings. I pick it up immediately and they say, Kyle, we decided that you've made it to the second round. So I show up to the gym. They say, welcome to the gym. We're glad you're here. And there's nine guys. So 26 to nine. Wow. And they put us through these drills and these little things. And I, again, I wonder, when does this get difficult? When do they decide who's good, <laughs> who's not good? And again, they send us home, say, We'll give you a phone call if you made it to the third round. So a week passes and, and I get this phone call and they say, Kyle, you made it to the third round. So I'm over the moon. I'm excited. I can't believe this is happening. I show up and there's four guys. So it went from 26 to nine to four. And this whole time I've been wondering, when does this get difficult? Well, the third round was when it got difficult. There it was. And, and the, uh, the coach said, guys, we're really glad you're here. And he had a big smile on his face. And then he said, now get on the line. And the smile left his face and he got more serious than he's ever been. And he said, you guys are going to run sprints until three of you quit. We only have space for one member on this team. We only have the ability to bring on one walk on and three of you are not going to make it. And so we got on the line and we ran sprints for the next hour and a half until one guy after the next dropped out. And at the end of that hour and a half, I was the only person left in the gym. And he said, Kyle, congratulations. Welcome to Marquette basketball. It went to the person who, who persevered in spite of the command. Absolutely. I, wow. I think that's how a lot of things go. I, I tell right. a lot of the young people I work with that a large percentage of it is just showing up. Right. Just, that's what it was for me when I showed up because I believed in myself enough to be one of those 26 members of that initial scrimmage. Um, I just showed up and then I worked as hard as I possibly could to go yeah. after what I wanted and, yeah, and lasted just though. a little longer than anyone else. They didn't check a foul shot. They didn't ask, you know, how's your jump shot? It was, and I think this is a metaphor for so many people obsessed with technicals thinking, technical skills, thinking that is the path to the prosperity. When in fact, what you did when you showed up, it was quite the opposite. Yeah. And I actually wore a t-shirt that day that I, I think was, pretty uh, a representative of what they wanted in a walk-on. I wore a t-shirt and it basically just had two words on it with a math symbol in the middle. And it said, we is greater than me. And I think that was it for them. They, they knew that I could be a member of this team. They knew that I was showing up not to be the guy who scored the points or gets the rebounds, but the guy who was going to be there on time and, and encourage other people and be a lifting partner and be a drill partner. And 
that was what they were looking for. They didn't, yeah, they already they had now, the guys. Now let's get to, you add all of that together and now you are living the adult life and you are a professional speaker. Let's tell the listeners about what you do and who you do it, who you do it for. Absolutely. Yeah. So I speak around the country, mostly to young people. So I encourage and empower young audiences to hopefully become the best versions of themselves. And I say best versions of themselves because I don't have a cookie cutter framework that I want everyone listening to fit within. I want them to decide on what it is they want to do and they want to pursue. And I hope that every person going into one of my speeches comes out a little bit better with a better understanding of who they are, where they're going, and how they're going to get there. Is there a message that you are delivering that helps them to ask themselves those questions? Absolutely. I, I tell a big story about this crazy experience that I won't get into too deeply here, um, but it ends with the acronym of being a hero for others. And I break it down, H-E-R-O. When we look at being a, a hero for others, it can actually change our lives. And the, the four things we need to do to be a hero for others is first we need to help. If we see an opportunity to help someone else, we need to step up and take advantage of that opportunity. The second thing we need to do is engage. Sometimes we need to put our phones down. We need to look someone in the eye. We need to truly engage with the people around us. The third thing is respond. Instead of responding emotionally to everything we hear or see, we need to respond with patience and with poise. And the last thing is own your power. To stop doubting yourself, stop for just stop looking at the world in the sense that you can't accomplish something, but switch that. Own the power that you have to achieve big things and go after the passions that you believe that you can achieve. Was this the culmination of your experiences that summed up to this point in your life, or did you take this from some other place? No, this, this is 100% something that I built. It's a, right. a framework that I like to live by. And I, I think that um, one specific scenario that helped me kind of start to build some of this is when I was a senior in high school, my high school principal was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, mm. a, a horrible disease. And we just saw that what this was going to do to him, to his family, to our school and our community. And we said, there has to be something we can do. And we stepped up as students. We put together a student faculty basketball game that ended up bringing community members in and we got sponsorships and we raised a lot of money for his treatment and to be put towards a cure for the future. And it just was the start of this recognition that you can't live a perfect day unless you do something for someone else who will never be able to repay you. And I believe that's a John Wooden quote where hmm. at the end of our student faculty basketball game, we took this photo with all the students who helped organize it. And I was in the middle with my arm around our principal and uh, a teacher of mine, when I graduated, gave me this photo in a, a large frame and underneath it, the exact statement that had been driving me all along was, was written on there. You can't live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. Wow, that's beautiful. And I know John Wooden's biography had so much of that. Did that appeal to you because of your basketball prowess or were there just lessons there that you felt are applicable across all areas? 
I think both. I think when you find somebody who's doing something in a realm you love, but also doing something in the values that you're rooted in, it, they just mesh together. So when you can kind of, you know, get your passions in line with your values, it, it creates this amazing mixture of who you're following, who you're looking towards for inspiration, and what you want to do with your life at the end of the day. And when you step on the stage, Kyle, around the country, are you speaking to middle schoolers, high schoolers, or both? Both. I, I add a lot more fun jokes for young people when I speak to middle schools. But uh, that high school audience is so smart and so unique right now that, you know, they have a supercomputer in their pockets every single day. And so it's changing, it's growing, it's evolving. And so I, I really like to get deep with them and personal and hope that they come away with some unique perspectives on life and on their own lives um, to go about it just a little bit different. And what are you learning about yourself as you are on this journey speaking in the service of others? It must be impacting you in ways you never counted on. Absolutely. And honestly, I think sometimes we forget. And I, I often say it, sometimes it's more important to be reminded than to be taught. And for me, it's just reminders all the time of how I want to live. I'm not always good at it. I'm not always going to get it right, but I'm always trying to stay rooted in these values of kindness and compassion and empathy and these things that are going to hopefully drive all of my behavior. So when I wake up in the morning, am I rolling out of bed and saying, how am I going to make more money today? Or how am I going to serve myself today? Or am I reversing that and say, hey, I don't need this to be happy. I'll, I'll be happiest when I don't need this to be happy. I'll be happiest when I do something for someone else that can never repay me. And in your professional life, what are some of these obstacles and challenges you come across that are the proverbial marathon cancellation after months of training? Help us understand Absolutely. Within starting a business or within just growing that business, I think the first huge obstacle, which ended up becoming a blessing, was I got fired. I got fired from a position uh, at a marketing startup. I was the first employee in 2015, and we had started to grow this startup. I started to see my future there. I was excited about where we were headed. And nine months in, we had become a million-dollar business. And I was excited. It was my first just real task with entrepreneurship of how to grow this. And, and then one day I walked in and, and the CEO, who was a friend of mine, said, Kyle, we don't think this is working out. We're going to have to let you go. And I mentioned that, that punch in the gut feeling before, but if there's ever a time where you feel like you've been punched in the gut, it's getting fired from a company that you helped build. Like, the, the Jerry Maguire type of story. And I walked out of there just with tears in my eyes, just frustrated, not knowing what the future was gonna hold, but also realizing that this could be an opportunity. And so I, I think that within any struggle with the adversity that I've faced in starting or growing a business, it's always come back to, could this be an opportunity? And in, in that experience, I decided to totally change my life. It was the first time that I started my own business, uh, action-packed leadership, I decided to sell all of my things and move to Nashville, Tennessee. I 
started to drive for Uber to make it possible for me to, to go and do that. And, and I started building this business over time um, and it started gaining success and I started to enjoy it. And I think bigger than any of that, when I was in Nashville, Tennessee, I met the love of my life and we got married in January. So sometimes, sometimes that, that adversity that we face it, it, it can actually, you can look back with gratitude because it, if you move forward in a positive way, it could, it could be the best thing that ever happens to you. Life either happens to you or for you. you Absolutely. You climb to the top stories of transformation on talk radio 77 WABC. I'm Chuck Garcia and my host this evening is Kyle Welcome. Kyle, you have taken many of these stories and you have compiled them into a book. Actually, I know you've written a book before that I really enjoyed reading, but this is a different kind of book. Talk to us very briefly about the first book and then how that springboarded and what you included in the book about to come out. Absolutely. So this is my, my third book. My sure. first book was a, a unique story about a young person who had something happen that was pretty tragic in his life. So it was about overcoming and coping with that. And I want it to be engaging. I want it to be a good story. My second book was what I like to call the Snapchat of leadership books. It's short. It's to the point. It's a punch in the gut. It's hopefully to deliver a spark, just the spark. And this third book, Action Packed Leadership, is really that, okay, you have a spark. What do we do next? And so if a young person is trying to find an internship or trying to grow their leadership skills or trying to be the best version of themselves, what resources do we have for them to really take advantage of that opportunity? And that's why I wrote this book is to empower high school students to think positive, take action and create change. How do we from the inside out create a framework of leadership that helps young people take advantage of their opportunities and not let them slide by? I'm starting from the absolute foundation. So we dive into from the inside out, how do we think differently to affect the actions in our lives? Right. And it starts with core values that we're creating and the, uh, the perception of identity we have of ourselves. So we're, we're first building those just foundational skill sets of how do we see the world and how do we see ourselves? And from there, we take on the, the leadership skills and abilities we can build when we have a strong foundation. Right. And how has COVID-19, this pandemic, affected your business or your potential outlook for how you teach these middle and high schoolers? It's totally shifted. I have been doing a lot of virtual trainings, um, six to eight hour leadership trainings. I've done virtual keynote speeches, which it doesn't feel the same as being in a room with all of the people ready to have conversations afterwards, but it's something. And I, I think that's what we need to focus on right now with, with COVID-19 as crazy as it is, we need to do everything we can for our young people to empower them when COVID-19 goes away, to empower them to have the skills and abilities to take control of their lives and to build something really positive even out of maybe a, a terrible or adverse scenario. And why did you write this book? I wrote it because I didn't have something like this in high school. I wrote it because I think there are a lot of young people out there that are yearning for something like this. 
that want to grow, that want to develop, but don't have a book that lays it out of how do we do this? How do I take positive action? And, and what does it mean? What does it look like? What are the skills I need to build? I wrote it for me as a 17-year-old. What, what would it look like for me to take control of my life from that point instead of waiting a lot longer to figure out some of these things that I've learned? Absolutely. And I, I think the big piece for it for me was I didn't want it to be just me. I didn't right. want to just talk about myself or deliver this content. So I talked with students from around the country, East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, down South. I, I talked with principals and teachers and student council advisors. And, and I'm, then I did the research and I read the books and I, I put it all together in this framework that I'm hoping is practical and it makes sense and it's not too difficult to read, but it, it really is research-based, student-focused, right. and meant to really engage young people in a way that they haven't been before. And one of two ways of looking at this, you're either filling a gap or you're solving a problem, or perhaps there's both. Expand on that. Absolutely. I, you know, I think an entrepreneur is different from an artist in the right. sense that, that the, the artist creates what they want to create. The entrepreneur asks what the world needs and creates that. Right. And I think for this book, there's a bit of both. I love to tell stories. I love to expand on what's going to be engaging to people, but I also want to teach. And I, I think that that is the need right now. They, the, the content is necessary because, you know, young people aren't just going to go and Google, how do I become a great leader and then read 20 articles on it. And I think it's, Something I've been talking to teachers, you know, when we talk about a gap or something that's a need that needs to be solved, you know, the, the need was we're experiencing this empath lack of empathy in our schools, this indifference, this feeling of too cool for school, or I don't really need this, or this isn't really necessary. How do we combat that? And for me to, to fill in that gap or, or to solve the need that they were talking to me about, it was, well... We need to give examples in a real tangible way of what it looks like when that doesn't happen or that doesn't exist. And these amazing scenarios that certain schools have created because they've built the proper culture and they've taught the right skills and they've built their people up instead of tearing them down and what that looks like. And I think there are some examples in here of just how far you can go if you embrace some of that and if you really dig into your passions and your purpose and start to look for it now as a young person instead of waiting until you're in college or beyond. Right. When you did the research and you started talking to other people and you started putting that book together, what were the teachers who are the ones that oversee these children? What were they telling you about the message you were delivering and the content of the book? Yeah, it's amazing that you ask that, Chuck, because I sent the first chapter to a lot of teachers that I know personally, and within a day, one of them got back to me and said, Kyle, I have no feedback for you, but I decided to highlight every single part of this that I think is applicable to our young people right now. And the whole thing was highlighted. <laughs> And, and with that, <laughs> and you love that feedback, right? It's it's not the most helpful feedback. Right. Um, you want to make sure not critical, it, right? But you know, it it just showed that it was it was touching on something that doesn't get touched on too often. That it was fitting a need that they had of expanding your leadership and what it looks like and how it feels to really do it. 
when you then reach out to those communities of students, what are you finding and how they respond to your message? Because it must be different in different parts of the country. Just geography sometimes changes or reactions. Absolutely. It, it's always different. And I think that's the beauty of it is I, I again, I don't want a, this cookie cutter approach to leadership. I don't want to say, hey, do this and do this and do this and don't do that. And it just seems too formal. But if I can encourage them to just if I can get a fire started inside of them, that's just going to grow and just envelop them with their purpose and their passions. That's going to change them. And I hear stories when people come up to me afterwards of just what that meant to them. People come up to me every single speech and tell me different stories and they vary greatly, whether someone has lost someone close to them or they're struggling with an eating disorder or whatever it is. It's how do we, look at it differently? How do we think differently about both the situation, but also ourselves and give ourselves the opportunity to grow and develop and continue to get better, even in the face of the adversity that we're facing? Yeah. And I suspect as teachers, when we are trying to instruct, we see certain fears, fear of making mistake, fear of judgment. Do you see those fears and at what age do they tend to emerge? I definitely see those fears all the time. And I think that they start to emerge in middle school, but maybe a little beyond. Right. I think middle school students still have this bright, bubbly energy. They love to have fun and enjoy this, a session with a speaker. And in high school, you start to think about what am I wearing? You know, how do I look? Do I have the right friends? Do I fit in? Am I popular and these questions start to really dig into us as to who we feel we are as a person so the messages are a little different for middle school students versus high school students my new book is all for high school students of how do we think differently about the influence that we have leadership is all about influence and everyone is a leader in some sense you're leading your younger sibling or you're leading your group of friends to go somewhere else you know those are things that you do have control over. So whether you are the president of the student council or you're a freshman coming into high school, you have some sort of influence and it's up to you to figure out what you do with that. Do you lead in a positive way or do you lead in a negative one? And that's what all action packed leadership is all about. Much appreciated. And in the time we have remaining, Kyle, to all of our listeners, we, we often ask the question on our show, what do we want our listeners to think? What do we want them to feel? And we want to, what do we want them to do with this information that's conveyed? So let, let's go through this. What do you want your listeners to think about them and their ability to lead their own lives? I, I want them to stop questioning their place in this world. And I want them to know that just the way they are right in this moment is enough. They have space to get better or improve and they have room to grow, obviously. But unless we start to deal with ourselves with a little kindness and compassion, we're going to have a really hard time giving that to others. So think that you're enough, that you can really take on the world, even in small ways. Um, and hopefully that that foundational level of confidence will help you grow in other ways. Yeah. And that takes care of the feel and the do. That's a great call to action. Where can the listeners find your book and when is it available? My book is available starting July 31st on Amazon. And again, it's action-packed leadership. And 
if you're a teacher, if you're a guidance counselor, if you're looking for someone to speak for your students, or if you want to buy a, a bulk sale of, of books, if you want to provide them for your school or your um, young people in your student organization, by all means, reach out to me at kylewilcom.com. Okay, well, Kyle, this has been so fast, but I thank you for coming on and congratulations on the new book. Um, it's great work that you are doing in the service of others' happiness and success. And for that, I want to state for all of the children of the world and for the teachers, including myself, thank you very much. We really appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. And, and to kind of finish this up, uh, Chuck, I don't think we mentioned, but after my marathon got canceled, I did decide to run another one. I, I've, now, <laughs> yeah. I've now run six marathons. So it, you don't have to let that, that minor adversity hold you back. And what I also remember is some of those marathons, one of them was in Athens, one of them was in Singapore, which is probably 95 degrees, yes. and in a couple other places. But you then picked yourself up, what started as devastating and depressive, so to speak, became an outlet for running six more. You were fired from a job which twisted and turned your way into creating something new for yourself and falling in love. And these are great stories of transformation, Kyle. And for that, we are very grateful for you having shared them on this show. Thanks for having me on. You bet. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.